0: So today we begin our last and final stop in the book of Second Corinthians. You know, our first stop took us to the good, the bad, and the ugly. The second stop took us to an identity makeover. Our, our third stop took us to becoming a professional Christian. And this fourth stop is what is your superpower? I can't help but think back a few years ago coming back from vacation where we were driving down the highway, I'm looking in the rearview mirror, and what do I see behind me? None other than the Batmobile coming up. (laughs) You know, I think that that's that's where we're at. We're kind of like Batman. We're kind of like Gotham City in this world. You know, where we're trying to find what our superpower is. You know, a lot of times where we find struggles and we feel like we're beat down and, and we can't get through it. But Batman always found a way to win. Even when he was, you know, left, left out there. And, you know, what we're struggling and we're trying to find what our superpower is. And hopefully through this message. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that we can find what our superpower is, that we can begin to see and focus on how to channel the power that Jesus has for us. So if you will, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to start with verse 3 here. We live in this world, but we don't fight our battles in the same way the world does. The weapons we use are not human at once. Our weapons have power from God and can destroy the enemy's strong places. We destroy people's arguments and we tear down every proud idea that rises itself against the knowledge of God. We also capture every thought and make it give up and obey Christ. We are ready to punish anyone there who does not obey. But first we want you to be fully obedient. You must look at the facts before you. If you feel sure you belong to Christ, you must remember that we belong to Christ the same as you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather here this morning we pray that you open our hearts and minds, open us to the power that you have for us, the power that you so claim for us so that we can overcome strongholds, so that we can overcome the evil one, so that we can live a full life in obedience to you. Lord, I I just come to you just asking you that you give us the words to speak, that you give me the words that, that we need to hear. That you just allow it to go deep down into our hearts and minds so that we can go out and live our lives for you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So when, when Joe Lewis was in his prime, he fought time Tony Goleta. Lewis was favored to win because Teuton Tony loved to fight, but he hated the train. At the first part of the fight, Galeno threw his Sunday punch and sent Lewis sprawling to the mat. Lewis was more surprised than hurt and jumped to his feet without waiting for the count. But at the end of the round, his manager scolded him, saying, you know you're supposed to take the full count when you're down. Why didn't you stay down until nine? And Lewis responded, what? And give him a chance to rest? Joe Lewis was annoyed. He knew he was better than Giolento, but he'd been a, but he'd been sucker punched and got knocked down to the mats. And it so frustrated him that he jumped right back up and got back into the fight. You see what I find intriguing about chapter 10 in 2 Corinthians is that we are told that we are better than our opposition. In fact, when we fight. The way we should, we cannot lose against the enemy. Paul tells us that we have weapons that have divine power to dem- demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make obedient in Christ. You see, what Paul is saying here is that we have the advantage over our opponent's we have the ability to take our opponent to the mat and win the fight. And I don't know about you, but that's great news. But the thing is, is that I don't always feel like that. I'm sure that you don't always feel like that. It doesn't always feel like we have the upper hand, we don't always have the advantage. Especially when we find people making fun of our faith. When we find people attacking the church. When we find people questioning scriptures or putting Jesus down. At times we tend to feel inadequate. But Paul says, not only are you not inadequate, you are very adequate. You have the weapons to take the enemy down and let me repeat something that i said a moment ago if we fight the way we should we cannot lose against the enemy so who is the enemy the enemy is satan in fact the name satan means adversary satan is our adversary in ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 it says our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So our our fight is not against the people who make fun of our faith, the people who attack the church or question scripture or put Jesus down, and the list could go on and on and on. They might annoy us, yes. But those folks are not our enemies. In fact, Paul tells us that these folks have been taken captive to do Satan's will. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 26. We're not fighting them. We're fighting Satan. He's our enemy. So if Satan is our enemy, how do we fight? Well, we don't. At least not directly. Some of you might be scratching your heads. But take 1st uh, Jude, I mean Jude chapter 1 verse 9, where he says, Even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, he did not dare bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. So here we have the archangel One of the most powerful angels in heaven having a dispute with Satan. But even he doesn't directly fight Satan. Granted, he's on contending with the devil over Moses' body. But when it comes down to real conflict, Michael says, the Lord rebuke you. Essentially, he turns the battle over to God. And that's what happens with us. That's what needs to happen with us. We do contend with Satan, yes. We do need to protect ourselves against his onslaughts. But when it comes down to direct battle with Satan, we need to turn it over to God. And when we do that, we have this promise. The evil one cannot harm us. 1 John 5, verse 18. So if God is the one fighting Satan, what's all this about having Divine power to demolish, demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Well, this is where it gets interesting. We don't directly attack Satan, but we do directly attack his kingdom. Jesus told us, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. So who's the church? We are. You and I are the church. Jesus built us with his blood. And the church we are called upon by God to prevail against the gates of hell. The gates of hell are the boundaries of Satan's domain. We're to attack those gates. And those gates will not prevail against us. This is the stronghold we've been given divine power to demolish. The gates of hell are the doors to Satan's kingdom. And you and I have been empowered to beat those doors down. So here we are. Beating down those gates. But are we just beating down the doors just to do something? Absolutely not. We're going after what's behind those doors. Do you remember 2 Timothy chapter 2 that I said earlier? Those who oppose you, you must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the evil trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Sitting behind those gates of hell are the folks who have been taken captive by Satan. Your job and my job is to beat down the gates and open a way for them to escape. Someone might ask, what if I don't want to escape? The sad fact is that there are many who don't. And Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few findings it." Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. But there are those who do, not, who do want to escape. We just don't know which ones they are. So we need to hit on as many of them as we can in hopes we'll find the ones who are tired of living their lives outside of God. Recently, read an interesting interview with Billy Graham, and he said that every group whether in a university or on a street corner, whether in a Korea, whether in tribal situations in Zaire or in New York, that he knew certain psychological and spiritual factors exist. And they include, one, life's need to be totally met by social improvement and material affluence. Even after people attain prestige and power and possessions, there's still an emptiness inside. Two, there is an essential emptiness in life without Christ, and only God can fill it. There is a God-sized hole in everybody. So let's say somebody is having trouble in their marriage. They go to a Christian counselor and get advice on their marriage. That counselor could give them the best biblical advice on their problem, and he can help them fix the problem, the couple faces you see the bible is filled with good advice on how to on how to live our life because god knows us and he created us and he knows what will work for our lives and our relationships but if all the counselor did was to fix the immediate problem he's failed if that counselor doesn't tie them to jesus the family will still have problems it's kind of like living in a home with wiring problems. The breakers trip time after time after time and you reset those breakers over and over and over and over again but the breakers aren't the problem. The bad wiring is. Until the wiring is fixed you'll always have problems. Especially, Essentially until people get Jesus in their lives they will always be miswired, and their lives will always have problems because of it. Third, there is a cosmic loneliness in people. Wherever Graham went, he found masses of people feeling lonely. In need of love and acceptance, only Jesus can supply. I don't know about you, but I've been there. I I can relate to every single one of these. Fourth, Being people have a universal sense of guilt. Why do they feel guilty? They feel guilt because they are guilty. We've all been there. Before we turn our lives to Christ. They have known that they've messed up their lives and they need forgiveness. And that's what Jesus came to give them. And the last one is, there is a universal fear of death. People may put on a good face, but when it comes to facing death, There's fear. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 and 15 tells us that Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds power over death. That is the devil. And free those who all live their lives in slavery by the fear of death. The message of Jesus crucified buried, and risen from the dead offers the answer to mankind's constant fear of death. Jesus rose from the grave, and that stands as a reminder that we too, because we belong to him, will one day rise from the dead to live and have, and live with him eternally. You see, all these truths are universal. They are true for everyone. They have been true for us your friends, your neighbors, your fellow workers, your relatives, maybe even somebody sitting right next to you. Without Christ in their lives, everyone you know will suffer from emptiness, will suffer from loneliness, will suffer from guilt and fear of death. And you have the answer to those needs in their lives. You know what the answer is. That answer is Jesus. Jesus is the argument that tears down strongholds. Jesus is the power that overcomes this world. Jesus said, in this world, I will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. Who has overcome the world? Jesus has. Who gives us power to tear down strongholds? Jesus. Who enables us to... demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God, Jesus. You can invite people to church. And let me tell you, we have a great church. But unless Jesus is the center of that church and what the church does and believes, they will have no power to tear down those strongholds that people face. You can tell that we have wonderful and and great music But if that, worship, if that worship music, if that music, if that choir that sings on Sunday morning that we still love does not help at us focusing on Jesus in the center of our worship, it doesn't give us the power to tear down those strongholds. You may tell people that, hey, we've got this awesome preacher at church, and he's not too bad looking either. But if that preacher doesn't preach Christ crucified as the power for change in our lives, that preacher gives us the power that Jesus gives us the power that Jesus can have to make a difference in our lives. You see, our job is to preach Jesus. Our job is to show people the power that Jesus has to begin to start tearing down those strongholds that Satan has placed on those people's lives. There's a story of a lady who's coming out of church one Sunday morning and she was approached by a skeptic and the skeptic asked her, why do you believe in Jesus? And she was cautious and she was about to turn and walk away when the man said, no, I'm serious. I really want to know why you believe in Jesus. Why do you believe what you believe? What makes you go to church every Sunday and do the things you do? She stopped and thought about it for a moment. Then she began to tell him about the difference Jesus has made in her life. When she finished, she saw tears in the man's eyes. And he said, I'd give anything to believe what you believe. We don't know what was going on in the man's life. What brought about this question? But because she was willing to share why she believed what she believed. It shook him and brought tears to his eyes. Why? Because Jesus is the power that overcomes this world. Jesus has the power to knock down those strongholds that are held on so tight to people's hearts and minds. Our repeated message needs to be, Jesus is what makes a difference in my life and you've got to believe this if you're just in the habit of doing churchy things and you haven't focused on why Jesus should make a difference for you you see you've got nothing to give to anyone all you're able to offer is a social club existence without true substance it's a time to just meet and fellowship and talk There's no true substance. There's no true living for Jesus and showing what Jesus has done in your life. You have got to know why Jesus matters to you. And once you figure out what difference Jesus has made in your life, then you can begin to tell people why they need Jesus in their lives. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 1, verse 1, That which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. What was John saying? He was saying that his witness wasn't about theology, it wasn't about his church, it wasn't about what he thought. His witness was all about Jesus. John had heard Jesus, he had seen him, he had touched him. This Jesus is the word of life, and that Jesus is what he preached. John knew that Jesus is the power that can overcome the gates of hell. Now Paul goes on to say that though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. Verses 3 and 4 from 2 Corinthians 10. And I got to thinking, what weapons does the world use? Several years ago, I'm thinking about this, I think that I saw some of those weapons. And they were churchgoers who used these weapons. They were mean-spirited. They were angry people who worked behind the scenes to destroy anyone who opposed them. They spread rumors, made nasty comments behind the backs, and were generally just harsh and difficult folks. Galatians chapter 5 verse 20 described the kind of weapons these folks used this way. Hatred, discord, dissensions, factions, and such. Worldly folks figure the louder they shout and the more in the face they are, The more likely they are to win the argument. Now, when I find someone who makes fun of my faith, or attacks the church, or questions scripture, or puts Jesus down, they kind of make me mad. They kind of upset me. They annoy me. They make me want to get in their face and call them idiots. Why can't you see who this Jesus is and what he's done? They've attacked something I love. They've been rude and inconsiderate. But Paul writes that we should not respond in that way. When he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 23 to 26. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Because you know they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone. Able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth. And that they will come to their senses. And they will escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. You see... That's not what they expect from us at all. They expect us to argue back. They expect us to get back in their face like they've gotten into ours. They don't expect us to be patient. They don't expect us to be caring. We throw them off balance and actually win points because we've surprised them with kindness. Now there's a story about a boy in a church. This church had a huge congregation, a beautiful building, very prominent in the city that they were in. And every Sunday morning, they rang the church bell at 9.30 a.m. to announce that Sunday school was starting. Now, the church was in a college town, and it was a great college, and it wasn't necessarily very godly in the atmosphere. Lots of students would go out on Saturday night and get drunk and had no intentions of getting up at 9.30 a.m. to do absolutely anything. Well, one morning, there was a student who lived next to the church. And when he heard the church bell, probably for the 11th time that semester, on Sunday morning, he furiously put on his pants and shirt and shoes and marched out over to the church to complain. He was angry at getting woken up again and again and again. Every Sunday morning by that church bell. The boy remembers watching the confrontation and being very puzzled by the response of some of those church leaders. This is our church. This is our bell. And we'll bring it whenever we want. Correct me if I'm wrong. But I don't think I am. But I'm pretty sure that wasn't the best answer that they could have given They had the opportunity to witness to this man and they blew it off because it was their bell. It was their church. It was their property. And they weren't going to stop ringing it because of a pagan student with a hangover. You ask me, they would have been much better served to have said something like this. Look, I'm sorry that we have upset you. But we ring that bell because we've got a powerful God and we want to share it. Tell you what. To make it up to you, we'll take you out to eat to whatever restaurant you want. You can get whatever you want. Just give us a chance when we do that to tell you about why Jesus means so much to us. And that might have worked. Granted, it might not have either. But it stood a better chance of changing the young man's life than getting huffy about who had rights in the situation. This morning, as we start bringing it to a close, I think about the problems, the trials, the struggles that I faced in my life. And knowing that Christ and Jesus has been there for me to get me through it brings excitement and happiness and wants me to go share it into the world. For the last, uh, for the last four or five years, six years, I've been working in more secular industries where you know, not a lot of people believe in Christ. And I've been given, given so many opportunities to talk about it. And share my faith and tell people why Jesus had made a difference in my life. And I think the last time or the time before that I I preached, I talked about a girl from the pizza shop that I worked at. Who, she she went off to uh, boot camp. And I got a letter back from her saying, Because of what you did, because of the conversations that we had every Sunday night that we worked, I have made a decision to follow Christ. And and she was baptized. And, you know, that that brings joy. That was like, because I wasn't afraid to talk about it in that secular culture, in, in that pagan culture, because, let me tell you, some of those are rough that I've been working with. It can make a difference. It can bring change into the world. You know, Jesus was all about saving that one that was lost. Not about the 99. And so should we. We don't know who we're going to touch. We don't know those that are saying, yes, I want out. Yes, I want to be free. But we need to be out there willing to do it. We need to have that superpower that Jesus has given to us, that wants to give to us. I want to close with this story. It's a true story of a man who worked in an inner city neighborhood. He had moved his whole entire family into a part of town that he was working, into an apartment building that was very close to gang members, and not-so-nice people, rough-around-the-edges people of that area. One day, he was walking down the hallway in the apartment building, and he noticed two guys smoking crack cocaine. Not wanting his kids to see what they were doing, he asked the two to stop. The next thing he knew, one of their fists had found its way to his jaw. It knocked him to the ground, and he found his nose and mouth were bleeding. He looked up at the two men and said, If Jesus shed his blood for me, I can shed my blood for you. Shocked by his response, the two men fled. A few days later, one of them returned, knocked on his door and said, I have not forgotten your words. If your God is that real to you, then I want to know him us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for the message. Thank you for the words. Thank you for the wisdom that that you've given to us. We pray that we can be doers of your word, to go out into this world, to feel that superpower that you have given to us, to knock down strongholds, to beat on the gates of hell, and to bring people into freedom, and to know you and to share your love. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that you have given us in the past. We pray that you continue to give us opportunities in the future. We pray that as we sit on top of this hill as a church that we can share your love and your light into this community, this community that is empty, this community that is lonely, this community that is scared of death that we can shed light into their lives and make a difference. Lord, I ask that you give us wisdom, that you give us strength and courage to go out into the world and not be afraid to share our faith. That, that we can see you like the, the Batmobile coming up behind us, knowing that you're right there behind us to help us through the, through the thick and thin, through the struggles, through the pain, through the hurt. Help us to know that we have the upper hand. Help us to remember that our focus needs to be on you and why you have made a difference in our lives. Lord, if there is somebody here this morning that needs to make their life right with you, to continue to focus and love you, To just be able to give their lives to you, Lord. That I ask that you give that tug on their heart right now. That as we come and sing our song of invitation this morning. And that we truly focus on you. And just surround this worship service. And give it to you. Knowing that you have done so much for us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.